0: and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Today's guest is a formidable professional with whom I have been sparring on and off for the last 16 years. But most of the time that sparring would have gone on behind the scenes and not while the notebooks were open or indeed the microphones switched on. That's because Caroline Wagstaff who has just been confirmed in post as the permanent CEO of cross-industry body The London Market Group, has spent her career working on the media relations and strategies of top players in the industry. In this interview, we run through what the LMG is all about and what its top priorities are. We talk about lobbying government departments and regulators and selling the benefits of the London market to brokers, customers and future talent from around the world. There's also a lot of detail around the recent success the LMG has had in getting the UK government to give regulators an obligation to consider the impact of their regulatory activity on the globally competitive position of the marketplace. Caroline says that a big part of this job is about corralling all the hugely varied and often disparate parts of the market together under common banners. This job needs a very strong character to bring all the different players together. Listen to this, and I think you'll see straight away why the LMG board felt Caroline was going to be a good fit for this role. I always enjoy spending time with Caroline because she's so direct, and there's no ambiguity. I think you will too. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We've handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994 as well as US-based major carriers and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA Claim Service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day? Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today.
0: So Caroline, first of all, welcome to The Voice of Insurance.
2: Thank you, Mark. It's lovely to be here.
0: Congratulations on your appointment as permanent CEO of the LMG, the London Market Group. The first observation is, obviously, you're not an industry person. You're not someone who's worked at an insurance company or a broker or a Lloyd Syndicate. You're someone with a media background, like me, but you've been on the other side of the fence as a public relations, media relations person. Because of that, does that mean that there's going to be a bit of a change of emphasis at the London Market Group? Is it going to be more of a media-focused lobbying-type group?
2: The LMG has always been a campaigning body and will continue to be a campaigning body. That is what we do on behalf of the London market. And if you think about what that means, it means putting together series of communications and asks of different stakeholders and pushing through you know, to get action. And that's what communications people do and that's what i spent my professional life doing. So I think it's actually a really natural fit for what the LMG is there to do and what it's doing going forward. I would also say I have spent 25 years in the London market. i worked for the Corporation of Lloyds for five years. I've advised carriers, brokers, service providers. So there isn't much about the market that I haven't tripped over in the last couple of decades. And I think that's really helpful in thinking about how the London market group moves forward.
0: I suppose, yes, you can't be a media relations person for an insurance company without understanding intimately what they do, or at least having learnt that over a long period.
2: Exactly. I think that was one of the things that the board looked at when they looked to appoint me, was I do have 25 years of knowing what an IBNR is. And, you know, that's always my test. And I'm well known in the market because a lot of this job is about corralling people's activities together because we need to be greater than the sum of the parts. And that's what the LMG is there to do.
0: I suppose, another fair point on the media focus of the LMG, that in its present incarnation, it existed before the London Matters report, but it was really the London Matters report and Steve Hearn really sort of grasping the nettle that to repurpose the LMG to be more of a media-focused thing. So it really was the London Matters report that gave it its first reason to exist, I suppose.
2: Yes, and the London Matters report is the sort of heartbeat of the LMG, and we'll be producing another one next year. It marks our homework. So it talks about the size of the market, the composition of the market. It allows us to track changes. We'll have 12 years of data next time. And one of its fantastic strengths is it allows us to go to the UK government or another government and really talk about the strength of the London market. And I give total kudos to my predecessors for the job they've done in building some of those conversations because I hear from the market, there's this great thing about, oh, nobody in government really understands the London market. And then in the six months I've been in the role, I've been in Treasury, I've been in Number 10, I've been in the PRA, I've been in Department of International Trade, and they do all know who the London market is, and we are at the table and we are being asked our opinion. And that was all down to the creation of the London Matters report by Steve Hearn and the work that's been done in the interim.
0: So it's really like a calling card to politicians, say, well, look, I represent this much tax revenue, this much employment, this much national insurance.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And we need to do a better job of doing that with government. I think we also need to do a better job of that across the city. So one of the things we've done as part of our five-point plan and looking at what the regulatory changes are that we require is we've done a lot more communication and cooperation with other trade bodies obviously we have a close relationship with people like Bieber and the ABI, but beyond our insurance family, we've gone and talked to the London Stock Exchange, we've been and talked to UK Finance, because they don't understand insurance either. And we need to do a better job at showing people how insurance and specialty commercial insurance fits in to that overall city picture.
0: That's the LMG to you. The LMG is the body by which the London market can go out to the wider world and explain what it is to either to politicians or other industries or other countries, for example, so yeah. what what is we do? That's
2: exactly. We have three core audiences that we want to talk to. We want to talk to government, we want to talk to customers and brokers, and we want to talk to future talent. And we can do that as a single voice much more powerfully on certain issues than we can as a series of fragmented voices, either individual trade bodies or individual companies. And that for me is a position of the London Market Group. You mentioned those five points.
0: For the benefit of listeners who might not know what they are, can you run through them?
2: Just to give some context to what the five point plan was there to do, the UK government is undertaking a huge review of all regulation in the financial services sector post-Brexit. And we have taken a really active part as the London market in that process. And those are endless, really quite dull documents. So what we did was we decided to put together a simple five-point plan that would allow us to just be really on message across the market about the five things we wanted the government to deliver as part of the future regulatory framework and the Solvency 2 review and the TIGA review and every other review that's going on. And essentially, the key points are... One is about proportionate regulation. So the regulators currently tend to have a bit of a one-size-fits-all view. Are you a London market broker doing specialty commercial insurance for sophisticated clients with lots of advisors? Are you advising Auntie Flo on her motor insurance? They don't really care. They see both of those as analogous. We don't believe that's right for anybody, and we think it makes us uncompetitive. So a proportionate approach to regulation is the first one. The second one is about the regulators having a competitiveness remit as one of their objectives. Currently, they have to be... Is it reasonable, proportionate and fair? Or they have to have a mind to competitiveness. What we've said is you need to look at our competitor markets. You look at Bermuda, you look at Australia, you look at Singapore. All of their regulators have a competitiveness remit. It might be called economic growth. It might be called general health. But the idea is that they don't take decisions that will fundamentally undermine the competitiveness position of their market.
0: Because there's no point in having a market to regulate. Well, if you don't have a market to regulate, you can't you don't exactly need to have a regulator. Um,
2: I heard someone use a fantastic <laughs> phrase, which I'll take credit for, which is you know regulating for the stability of the grave. So we need to be alive to that. And I think our regulators are smart people, and I'm sure they can balance their objectives, but. Competitiveness remit is definitely the second one.
0: I suppose it needs to be balanced because, of course, a scandal is obviously very bad for your yes. for any competitive position, of course. If there yeah. was a scandal in a particular jurisdiction that tainted that whole jurisdiction, then, of course, that would be terribly bad. So, of course, we understand we need regulation.
2: Exactly. And this is not, and we are really keen to make this point, this is not some sort of regulatory arbitrage race to the bottom. Strong regulation is a real asset, and customers and brokers and investors all want that. What we're saying is it will just be helpful if they can also think about competitiveness when they're thinking about what it is that they do. And more important, that Parliament and Treasury have some proper teeth around that and some measurements of what that looks like. Third is Solvency 2, where, unlike our brethren at the ABI, our asks are rather smaller, but we think there's a lot of extraneous reporting, and particularly looking at where other regulators have already done some of the reporting for us. Are we duplicating? So there's a number of issues around solvency too. Captives is the fourth one. The UK does not have a captive market, as we all know. It's an enormous market globally, billions and billions of dollars. We think that the UK, because it has this London market as its heart could be a really successful captive domicile. So we've been working a lot with captive owners to put together a really good structure that they would find attractive that we can take to the government. And then the fifth one really is about trading opportunities. So making sure that the government recognises as part of their trading negotiations post-Brexit that services, and particularly financial services, often need a different take to where they're looking. And that document, which sits on our website for anybody who's fascinated, is not very long. But it's really allowed us to be really clear to the government about what it is that we want.
0: I had Patrick Tin on the programme recently, and there's obviously some moves at captives at Lloyd's as well. So watch this space.
2: Yes. I think that says something about the dynamism of the captive market. I mean, if you look at the data from other captive domiciles, there's been enormous growth. And that's not all just in offshore locations. I mean, Luxembourg has seen growth, Ireland has seen growth. And it's clearly a consequence of a hardening market. Buyers are saying, right, what are we doing with our risk transfer books? Should we be having our own captive? Should we move our captives? And I think they're starting to feel, and I heard this a lot when we chatted to the Airmake Captive Special Interest Group, they understand the reputational issues around where you have your captive. So having your captive in an offshore location and having your headquarters somewhere else is starting to maybe not look fantastic from a reputational standpoint. So if people could find the argument to having it closer to their HQ and having it somewhere which is you know clearly robustly regulated, then that starts to look like a really good option.
0: Yeah, and I suppose the paradox has always been there's been a huge amount of captive management expertise based in the UK. But of course, the domicile has been somewhere else.
2: Exactly. And so that's why we think it would be great to have the domicile as well, because there's such a wealth of expertise sitting in the London market and there's the reinsurance market. And there's just general, you know, other suppliers who are expert in this area. It would just sort of be the final sort of cherry on the top of the cake.
0: Yes, you mentioned at the beginning about LMG being a successful campaigning group. And obviously, when you mentioned that unqualified success of the London Matters report over the years and how that's going to be a permanent feature of what you do, another campaign was the London Makes It Possible. I'm terrible. I always end up saying London makes it happen, but I think London makes it possible. Even though I've got all the merchandise, um, (laughs) the London Makes It Possible campaign, um, have you been able to measure that success, whether that was a success or a failure? Did you have any metrics? Are you able to say we wanted to hit this recognition or that kind of thing?
2: Absolutely, because we're spending the market's money, so we need to be able to report back to the market on the worth of what it is that we're doing. So the campaign has evolved, it's still going on, it's not in the past tense in any sense. It has moved in the last two years to being a digital campaign, because partly, as we've all noticed, there's been a global pandemic, so that's getting out and about has been difficult. But also, it gives us tremendous reach for fantastic value for money. So the decisions we took were the campaign would be focused in the US because that is our largest provider of market. It's a very large growing market. So why wouldn't you want to increase people's awareness? We have broadened out what we're doing. So it now is a fantastic showcase for London markets knowledge and expertise. So if you go onto to the London Makes It Possible website, you'll see white papers, thought leadership, videos, a wealth of material, educational materials. If you're a young broker and you don't know how London works, there's some educational courses you can go on online, 10 minutes each. So there's this great sort of source of expertise, and we drive traffic to it through digital advertising, which I have to tell you, I think is a black art of, you know, people just say it's an algorithm, and I go, ooh, okay, it's an algorithm. Um, But what it does do is allows you to really identify the people you want to reach at a very low cost, and we've seen great traffic numbers in terms of eyeballs, impressions, click-throughs, all the digital metrics that we use. And of course, you can measure it. Exactly. And you can you can change it and you can see what change makes happen. So we've dialed down in some places and dialed up in others and we've changed the material and we're seeing really good, consistent traffic and we will continue to build on that. And I hope next year we'll increase the geographical reach. We'll probably broaden our audiences a bit. We'll think about different topics we can cover to demonstrate how fantastic London is as a provider of risk transfer solutions. This autumn, we've launched a climate change space so that people can demonstrate what they're doing in the climate change space. And um, I think it's a fantastic resource. And I would say we're essentially creating the stage for the London market to come and show how marvellous it is. And we're attracting the punters to come and see it.
0: So it's been a success and you're going to carry on with it?
2: It is. And we are.
0: Right. And is it right to assume then that is the main campaign other than London Matters periodically coming out? Is that one of the main other campaigns or do you think we'll see something else?
2: No, we've already seen something else. So the third audience I referred to when I went through my list is future talent. And the problem we're trying to solve for, which is a slightly American phrase, but I do think it's a good test to always ask yourself, is how many people do we know in the market fell into insurance? How many people when you ask them, how did you get into insurance, slightly ended up here by accident? And then when they get here, they find it's a fantastic industry and market and place to work. And if you go and talk to young people in the market, which I've done a lot of in the last six months, they are really passionate about this. They either somehow found a job, possibly slightly sideways and then they get here and say more people need to know about this industry it's amazing it does good and it's interesting and it's fun and it's social so that is one of the problems we're trying to solve and we did a lot of desk research and we found out that there was no sort of single source of truth about the market you couldn't go to a website and find out what jobs there well what does a broker do how could you find a job how does the market work? And that's what we've created. So we've spent five months creating a website which does all of that. It will tell everybody how the market works, what the jobs are. It's got fantastic videos and podcasts from young people talking to each other about why they love the market and what a great place it is to work, profiles of them. It's going to have job posts. So any market firm that's got an internship or a grad scheme or an entry-level role can advertise for free. So that when people think, oh, this looks fun, they can actually find some roles because otherwise, where would you start? We don't have very many big brand names in the market. And then finally, we're going to not wait for the field of dreams moment when if you build it, they will come. We're going to digitally learn from the London Makes It Possible campaign and we're going to drive traffic to, through it through, I say these words like I know what I'm talking about, TikTok and Instagram and other social media channels and through campus advertising and so forth.
0: john Neal doing a little dance or something
2: it's a vision I'm i'm not sure that one's going to come to pass but it's a vision um but the point is i want and i think the market wants insurance to be a destination career not a kind of random turn on the road of life and what's that portal called it's called london insurance life and i'm really hoping it's going to be going live next week
0: because I've seen things on social media. It's young people just starting a career, posting about their experience. And I'm sure yeah. that they're posting to their peer group. mostly. Yes. of so it's not aimed at me. But
2: obviously. No, obviously, Mark, you're important <laughs> in that, but not possibly their primary audience. And that's one of the things we're doing. So we have about 150 London Insurance Life ambassadors, some of whom are podcasting for us, some of whom are doing videos, but all of whom we hope will be sharing this material on their social media channels because they've got the right network, As you say, you and I have a different network.
0: I want to go back to one of those five objectives we've already been talking about, that competitiveness, compulsion. We've had a go at this before when the FSA was disbanded after the financial crisis and all the legislation around that was being amended to split the FSA into the PRA and the FCA. There was a movement there. There was an attempt by the industry to get that competitiveness word inserted into that new legislation. So what do you think the chances are it seems to be one of those things that the politicians don't always seem to get or the bureaucrats don't seem to get.
2: I think that's absolutely right. It has been a long-standing campaign and I'm delighted to say that I think we have achieved some success. So yesterday the Treasury published the next stage of the future regulatory framework in which they said the regulators will have a secondary objective which is that they will have to have a competitiveness remit. And... As you say, that's come a long way. 18 months ago, when we started this process, or when the latest stage of this started, the government was absolutely against it. They couldn't yeah. see the argument for it. And if you listen to Sam Woods at the PRA, he is vocal frequently on why he doesn't think they need it. He says they always have a mind to it.
0: They always seem to see it as being a small jurisdiction thing. So if it's okay if you're an island somewhere. Yeah. But we're an island, so...
2: Exactly. And we have talked about this endlessly to lots and lots of people. And the market, senior market figures have really committed time to going out and helping us to get this market to Westminster and Whitehall because that's who we can facilitate it as the LMG. But what they want to hear from is people who are investing in the country. And you look at the London market, 60-odd percent of our capital is now not UK domiciled. So these are foreign companies making a decision about where they put their investment, where they put their business, and where they put their people. And that's who government wants to hear from. They want to hear what drives those decisions. And the market has done a fantastic job. And we've been supported through all of this by all of our stakeholders in putting that argument consistently and frequently to government and it's not a total victory. We think there's definitely things we will be responding to in terms of helping the Treasury to think about how they hold the regulators to account because that has to be an important part of the equation but I think this is a really great step for the market in what has been a long-running campaign.
0: Obviously, that 60% of foreign capital that comes to you didn't come here for the weather. They came here for a particular reason. Exactly,
2: exactly. And looking out the window today, they definitely didn't come for the weather.
0: (laughs) Yes, but it's a sort of secondary. Obviously, the prime function is to regulate the market, make sure that there are no failures or within a certain acceptable tolerance. Yeah. But it's a secondary consideration. So perhaps would an analogy be a bit like over the last 30 years, where environmental legislation, before you could just build a road in the 1960s perhaps, And then by the 1980s, you'd have to do an environmental impact assessment. So, you know, we like the road, but we need to see that we're not going to sort of, you know, squash all the frogs in the way or whatever. (laughs) We're definitely not going (laughs) to... Newts, usually newts. Yes,
2: no frogs were killed in the making of this podcast. Um, Yes, it is a secondary objective, but we still think it's fantastically important that the government has recognised that it needs to be on the table. Before, it was just a minded to have, which is really not robust enough.
0: Yeah, because they do read the words, and it's very legalistic in that sense, and the words really do matter to the regulator, not Yeah,
2: they do. They do. And so we are genuinely delighted to have got to where we are today.
0: Great. Well, congratulations. Let's see what the pudding tastes like. It sounds like at least there is a pudding. That's yes, fantastic. they're
2: definitely the right ingredients. We just need to make Keep a pushing. few more suggestions on how that comes out.
0: No, that's fantastic. That could be really good news. So well done. I mean, it'll be an early win for you, Caroline.
2: Well, it's great to be at the front of it, but it's been a long-standing campaign for which I absolutely can't take total credit.
0: (laughs) I've been aware of it over the last 12 or 13 years, yes. Another really big change that's been going on in the London market has been a recognition of cultural failings, but also a recognition over the similar period of certainly an intent to improve the culture and the corporate culture and behaviours, diversity and inclusion, and all of that. And do you think the London Market Group's got a role to play in that, to unify some of the different initiatives?
2: I think we are always alive, whenever we think about what we're doing, we're really alive to two points. The first is, what are other people doing, so that we're not duplicating effort? And the second is, is there a single market position that we can take on this? Because if there isn't then we really shouldn't be acting in any space. So those are the things that we think about. One of my views is this is slightly the law of big numbers. We have to get more people, young people coming into our market. By definition, that will improve diversity and inclusion. If we're casting our net wider, I mean, if you think historically, the recruitment policy of a lot of firms was family and friends. So inevitably you are going to hire in your own likeness. If we widen that to school leavers and university graduates and you get more of them and you get more of them interested, then you are going to get better diversity inclusion. And that will change behaviours and that will make the market look different. And I'm really encouraged when I go out and meet young people. We've had a series of breakfasts with some of our London market ambassadors and I feel really confident in the future of our market when I look at these people they're smart they're diverse by every metric you'd want to look at they've come from different backgrounds and you just think if this is our future I feel really confident about it so I think we have to keep doing that and I think the London market can do that by speaking as a single voice to those markets and amplifying and encouraging where we can on other initiatives that will do a similar job.
0: Do you think there might be a job of codifying some of this to say, you know, if we have a a London market sort of culture code or sort of code of ethics or behaviours or standards or that kind of thing, do you think that could be something that you could help pull together?
2: I think if you have a code, you need to be able to measure it and you need to be able to punish people if they're not up to standard. I don't think that's the role of the London market. Because they will
0: end up with one of these sort of declarations that don't really mean anything. Absolutely.
2: I mean, everyone can sign up to warm words, but unless there's a way of measuring it... And then really, I say punishing people, but getting people who are not doing it, I don't think that's the role of the London market group. So that's
0: more for individual bodies or something like Lloyds, obviously, which has yeah. got those kind of sanctioned powers.
2: Or the regulators. So yeah. the FCA has now definitely got their eye on culture. You know, you can't see a communique from Stratford that doesn't talk about culture. And Lloyds has it as well as part of uh, Project Rio. I think they're looking at culture will be one of their metrics. So... Absolutely. It's on everybody's radar. There are other people doing that job. Our job is to try and improve the people that we've got in the market.
0: I just want to talk to you about this role, because from the outside, I can imagine it must be really difficult that you've got four big constituencies within the London market, the brokers, the managing agents, Lloyds, and the company market in the form of the IUA. How do you go about finding what is the common denominator between all those? And those bodies within their own bodies, of course, they have their own divisions. There are large brokers and there are small brokers and there are medium-sized brokers. They don't all necessarily want the same thing, same with managing agents, same
2: with companies. You have a lot of conversations. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing I'll say is that It's really fantastic working with all the stakeholders that we have. All the other bodies have been fantastically supportive. They're all run by people who've been doing these jobs for a whole lot longer than I am. And there is a great sense of sharing and support. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And I think you have to sort of not be too prescribed in the answer that you think you're coming to. So. I do a lot of talking with people, I then think about what it is that we might do, we then talk some more about it, do people think it's tripping over anything else, how might it fit in with other initiatives. And I think some of it is just doing a few things really well, and when I say a few things these are quite long-standing campaigns and they're not no work at all, but just being really clear about where you operate. And so far that seems to be fine, I'm not saying that we're not going to trip over things where other people are doing things. This is a business of 350 businesses, and as we all know, you can talk to all of them, but you're not going to get around all of them often enough to be totally on top of it. And there's a real spread. You know, look at Lieber. They've got 150 members, and their curve is from three or four really big firms to quite a lot of really small firms. And so that's the test. The test I set myself when I think about things is, okay, I'm running a small brokerage firm. Can I see that what I'm going to do might be useful to that person? And if the answer is not, um, yeah, I'm pretty confident about that, then we we really shouldn't be doing it.
0: So I suppose, yes, being a small broker and having that London makes it possible pack that they wouldn't possibly be able to afford to do, and they exactly. do themselves. Exactly. Or
2: being able to advertise a job. They're probably not recruiting all the time. They probably maybe don't have a full-time HR staff. You know, having a site where they think I can advertise my job somewhere where people are driving traffic to it who are interested in my industry. Yeah, that ticks a box. I don't have to pay for that. That would be great.
0: We've had different people in this role and it's been not say reasonably frequent turnover in the role but I don't think not a revolving door not as if it's been problematic but how long do you think you'd like to stay in this role how long have you got in your mind that you're going to give to it so
2: I've only just arrived at the party and you're asking me when I'm ordering the taxi
0: (laughs) well so well that's what it says on most parties it says when when the carriages are you know on a big
2: (laughs) yes I would hope that I'm doing this you know in three or four years time A lot of these campaigns that we're running, let's look at the competitiveness remit. Just as an example, that's taken, we talked about that in London Matters in 2014. It's now 2021. So things don't move fast, you know. So I really want a chance to embed some of the things that I think we should be doing and hopefully see them through to fruition and some maturity. I suppose we should point out
0: to listeners that you have been involved with the LMG on the media relations side since the beginning, with the beginning of its new incarnation.
2: Exactly. So I've been involved since twenty fifteen. So yeah. I've seen a lot of the development and been actively involved in some of the things that have got us to where we are today. So
0: And out of those five priorities or other priorities, what's the absolute top one you'd say, right? If we can nail this one to
2: the mast, that's gonna be great. I think talent. I think talent Is absolutely the problem we all need to be focusing on, because if you look at what's going on in the market currently, we're seeing a lot of revolving doors, both in underwriting and broking, and you're seeing people being poached, you're seeing incredibly high levels of wage inflation, the offers that are being made to people to move. That's not sustainable. We can't sustain just cannibalizing our own talent base to keep the market moving. We need new talent. We need more talent. We should be also thinking about lateral talent, but I'm taking one problem at a time. But I think if we can get more young people interested, that does more for the future of the market than almost anything else we can be doing.
0: Something else that the LMG was involved in, but... From the outside, it looks like its its role has been de-emphasised. There's been all the technological reform, commonality of the technology reform of the London market. Obviously, because you had the LM Tom, the London market target operating model campaign. I remember all the badges and things. I'm with Tom and all that stuff. Now, I suppose, we're at what John Neal described as the the rubber-hitting-the-road phase. Tom's been disbanded. Is it fair to say that your role's been de-emphasised?
2: I think it's not been de-emphasized so much as Lloyds has taken on a lot of the heavy lifting for executing a lot of the modernization. And they, Lloyds have been very clear that this is market agnostic. So a lot of the things that they're doing are being done, you know, for the good of the company market and the brokers as well as for managing agents. So they've taken on a lot of the heavy lifting through Blueprint and the Future Lloyds. So I don't think it's been de-emphasized. It's a topic we regularly discuss at the LMG board. We're talking about how the LMG can support that process where we need better cross-market kind of support around things like common data standards which is, you know, the oil that will will make everything work, you know. If you look at what I would think of as one of the really clear successes of modernization, which is PPL. It's a genuine cross market body. It has everybody represented. And it's got, you know, let's say the pandemic was helpful in this, but it was the thing that kept the market going when everybody had to go and work at home. And that's really, I think. I think done a lot for hearts and minds in terms of, yeah, people who were maybe a bit recidivist about oh, technology and PPL have suddenly seen that, you know, when you can't be in the market every day, it's a really useful tool to have. So we are absolutely behind it. We're an absolute supporter of it. But Lloyd's are doing a lot of the heavy lifting.
0: So is it fair to say that LMG is better for conceptualizing or sort of getting the market together and finding out what it needs to do and getting it being a form for it to agree what it needs to do? And then, of course, they have to leave execution to someone else.
2: Yes, yes. I mean, you'd have a completely differently structured LMG if you wanted it to carry out the sort of work that's being done at Lloyd's. But
0: I presume that you'd think that there's unlikely to be a successful structure anyway.
2: I wouldn't hire me as the CEO (laughs) of something that needs a lot of technological transformation. Well...
0: Caroline thank you so much for giving up your time it's been really well for one it's been a very novel experience interviewing you rather than usually I'd be interviewing somebody and you would be sitting in the corner making sure that I didn't do anything naughty.
2: It is one of the interesting shifts in the role is to not be behind the curtain anymore but to suddenly be the person who's saying the things I was thinking before and this is what you need to say but hopefully that's one of my skills and hopefully useful for the market. Yes it's a
0: cardinal sentence that you're You're supposed to not become the part of the story, you see.
2: Exactly. It was a bit of a shock at the first, but I'm getting used to it.
0: Well, I wish you all the best. And having known you for so many years, I know, I think you've got all the skills that you need to do this because you've always been a formidable, it's wrong to say adversary, I think. But there's slightly adversarial relationships that journalists have with media relations people sometimes, but usually with a lot of mutual respect. So I think it's a laudable approach to slightly change the emphasis from my perspective, to have someone who really is good at pulling strings. So,
2: <laughs> Thank you, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Well,
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at
1: www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.